0: Everyone has a favorite Christmas song, but do you ever stop and reflect what these songs' root is from the Bible? In this series of messages, the Songs of Christmas, journey through these songs of praise and adoration that are in the Bible and learn more about the true meaning of Christmas. You are seated. Would you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1 in your Bible this morning, Luke chapter 1 in your Bible today. Glad that you all made it here uh, safely. We praise the Lord for that and thankful for it for sure. I'm glad that we're together to corporately worship the Lord. I often think in my private worship time every day that every Christian uh, enjoys, uh, I often uh, think of our services, and I can't wait to get here uh, and to enjoy them, and to enjoy them together. Uh, Though I love my private worship time, and I don't ever want to miss that, my heart looks with fondness on being here, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for it. Well, we're kind of at the second week of the Christmas season. Uh, I hope that uh, your Christmas uh, stuff is going well. Uh, If you're like most men in here, you're thinking about buying a gift any day now. Um, I was at the store yesterday with Debbie, and we were walking uh, out of the store. And and I'm thankful because this is the first year she goes... Hey, I haven't done anything for Christmas. I'm like, yeah, no, no, me neither. And she goes, no, like for anyone. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, like, I haven't got your parents or my parents. She's normally the gift giver in our family. I'm the gift payer. And, uh, that's our agreement. And I was like, uh, you don't have anything? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. So, uh, we start, and we started buying salami for everybody that we know. And so I'm just teasing, uh, about the salami part, but, uh, uh, and then whenever I do that, I, I always, like, go overboard. And, and uh, so uh, I got gifts for my parents and uh, excited about that. And, and I, if you're like a man, how many men have bought all their Christmas stuff, totally done, don't have to do anything? <laughs> yep, yeah, yep, two of you, two of you, which we're going to talk to you about what it means to be a man right after the service. So... <laughs> I'm totally teasing, totally teasing. I need to be a better example uh, of those things. I, honestly, I just forget about it, and then I'm like, oh, no, and, and so, uh, anyway, it's a blessing. Uh, we've been in a series, we started it last week, called The Songs of Christmas, and um, we talked last week, and Songs of Christmas, if this is your first week, is just a series about spontaneous songs about Jesus that broke out when people uh, heard about the Christ child for the first time. Either they heard that he was coming or we'll talk about a man named uh, uh, Simeon who held the Christ child and his song of praise and we're pumped about that. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, last week we looked at a lady named Elizabeth. Now if you, if you weren't here you can go back and listen on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. They're, they're on both of the those, just go to our website or or our YouTube channel or whatever, and you can see that and I don't have time to re-preach the message, but I will give a couple of very pertinent facts today. The, the lady that we talked about last week is found in verse 41 to 45 of our text this morning. Uh, her name obviously being Elizabeth, as I said, she was the daughter of a priest, and a priest held a lot of authority in the nation of Israel at that time, and her husband was also a priest. Her her husband's name was Zacharias, and Zacharias was a, was a well-known priest, But and, and he and his wife had wanted to have children the entire of their life, if you will, or their marriage, but they were old. Matter of fact, the Bible says that, that they were well stricken in years, that Elizabeth was well stricken in years, and Zacharias was an old man, and, and, uh, well stricken in years is another word that, phrase that the Bible would use for aged. It would be defined as aged. And most Bible commentators, historians teach us that that word age referred to somebody who was at least 60 years old, if not older, that you had to cross the threshold of 60, before you were considered aged which i like because i'm 50 so it means i'm still young and so but you go from young to old and it happens at that aged point for zechariah and elizabeth they were more than likely more than likely can't be definitive on this because the bible doesn't say for sure but they were more than likely closer to the 70 year old range than they were to the 60 year old range and we just kind of gathered that from the construct of the sentences and and the idea of the text and the they, they were without children. Elizabeth had never had a child. Zechariah had never had a child, and the absolute hopelessness that they had, or the resignation that they came to—that they'll never have opportunity to have a child. Uh, she had went through the um, the birth giving years, if you will, and it was there was no chance that they would ever have a child. I well, want to give you a little bit of a backstory on Zechariah, who's a priest. He was serving in the office of a priest, which he would do about once a month a year. So once out of every 12 months. There were other jobs that he did throughout the year, but about once a month for a year, he would go, he would leave his village and he would go to the temple and he would serve in that office of a priest. In the office of a priest, there were so many priests at the time that they would draw straws for the job that was, or cast lots is the Bible term, they would cast lots for the jobs that they would do. And that year for that man, he was in a certain lot and certain measure, if you will, of seniority. And the lot was given to him or the job was given to him by, through the sovereignty of God, that he would be the priest responsible for lighting the incense that year. Now, before you just go, what's the, it's not a big deal. No, that was the, the second closest a person would be to God that year. Uh, for that priest, that was of the utmost importance. The only person that would be closer to the presence of God that year in that time would have been the high priest on the day of atonement when he went into the Holy of Holies and he offered a sacrifice on the altar, a blood sacrifice as a means of deferring the payment of the nation of Israel's sin until the coming of the Messiah. Well, uh, Zacharias is offering incense to God in preparation for that. And he would offer incense and he would spend a, a, a decent amount of time, for lack of a better phrase, a decent amount of time in prayer in this most holy place that he is in, praying and lifting his heart to the Lord. And while he is in there, if you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 1, while he is in there serving on this extremely important day, And praying to the Lord, verse number 13, the Bible says, But the angel of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, we need to be clear about this, because if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand or misrepresent the text. Zacharias was not praying for a son. You say, why do you know that? Because he's going to doubt that he would have a son in verse number 18, the second part. Number one. Number two, the time of the, or the, the, the time of, uh, birth giving years had passed his wife by. There was no hope that she could have a son. You don't pray for hopeless things. I hope that tomorrow morning when you're praying, you don't pray for wings so you can fly like a bird. You say, well, God could do it. Well, in theory, God can do anything he wants to do. Let me assure you, you're never going to have wings to fly like a bird. You say, well, I believe all things are possible. I believe you getting your head screwed on straight would be more probable than you ever having wings that could fly like a bird. I don't mean to be facetious, we just don't pray for things that have no probability of happening. And she was not going to have a child because it was impossible physically for her to have a child. So we ask this question, what then is Zacharias praying for? Well, he's praying, I would submit to you, what every priest is supposed to be praying for, what every person was supposed to be praying for, the coming of the Messiah or the salvation of Israel. He's praying that the Messiah would come and deliver the nation of Israel from their sin. We could take a lot of time and develop that from the Old Testament. I don't have time to do that this morning. But I do want us to understand his prayer was a very sincere prayer that the nation of Israel would understand that a Messiah for him was coming and that he would deliver their people. According to the book of Isaiah, he would save their people from their sin, which is what the Messiah would do. And so Zacharias is praying this prayer, and I, I say I bring that up not because I need something to talk about. I bring that up because I think there's a, a really important lesson for us to learn today, and that is that we, as a group of Christians, if you're here today and you're a Christian, our prayer life ought to be consumed with the need for people. To hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. We so often pray for things that are, even humanly speaking, less than important. Now, we do pray for important things, and we should. But there's nothing in this world more important than the salvation of our nation. There's nothing more important than the salvation of every person in this room. There's nothing more important than the salvation of every person you work with. There's nothing more important than the salvation of your neighbors and your, and your, and your family members and the people you're on the rec leagues with and the people that, that you interact with on a daily basis. That's the need for our land. Let me say this to the church at large. I said this at the 830 service. The average conservative evangelical church like ours would probably be, as far as political parties, probably more on the conservative side of the aisle, on average. Not everybody by any means, but on average. And just about after every election that doesn't go our political or your political party's way, people lose their mind. And before that election... People are organizing prayer meetings and asking God to do a great work so that this person can get in office or that person can get in office or this, uh, you know, amendment would happen or this bill would be passed. And, and we, we pray for all of these things. And, and by the way, I'm not against those things, but politics will never save our nation and politicians will never save our nation. I, 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 listen to me. I, I, I'm not indifferent to the need for godly leadership. I pray for that. The Bible commands me to pray for our president. God, the, the Bible commands me to pray for those in authority. First Timothy chapter 2. I pray for them. I want to pray for them. I'm thankful I have opportunity to pray for them. But there's never been a single person in the White House that brought about the salvation of the souls of mankind. There will never be a political party to bring about salvation. There will never be anyone in authority on this world to bring about salvation Zacharias was not praying that Herod would be removed as as potentate over, over Palestine Zacharias was praying that the Messiah would come that the hearts of the people would be open and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ would shine in the hearts of every single man woman and child and by the way that needs to be our prayer Well, what do you think about this political party? Whatever. I I, I have opinions about it. Ask me after the service. Uh, But I'll tell you this. I don't care about any political party when it comes to the salvation of souls. Because they don't save souls. And Christians get caught up and enraptured in all of these things. And God has called us to be a people who are praying for the condition of our land. And I'm just burdened today to help us understand this, that Zechariah is not praying that his life would be easier or that his camel wouldn't need a new foot or that his car wouldn't need a new motor or that the solar-powered wind turbine on his house would spin better so he didn't have such a high electric bill. He was praying for the salvation of his nation. Those of you that are single, he wasn't praying for a spouse. Nothing against that. That's a wonderful thing to do. Matter of fact, I teach and preach on that. But he wasn't praying for a spouse. He was praying for the salvation of his nation. And there's a question that has to be asked, believers, and that is... How often are you praying for the salvation of our nation? How often are you praying for the salvation of souls? Oh, well, I'm praying that this bill would pass or this person's health or this thing. All of those are wonderful things to pray for. But when was the last time you spent time in prayer asking God to, to lighten the hearts of lost people, to enliven their souls, to bring salvation to our land? Because politics will never change our land, but Jesus can't help but change our land. Well, Zechariah is praying this prayer and the angel comes to him and he says, Zechariah, your prayer is answered. Well, how is this prayer answered, pastor? He's going to have a son. What do you mean he's not praying for a son? Well, he's praying for the salvation of Israel. The salvation of Israel is going to come through Jesus Christ and his son is going to pave the way for the Messiah. And so Zacharias, he does what most good uh, men would do and he responds to the angel of the Lord with doubt and he says, how am I gonna know this? Verse number 18, I'm an old man and my wife is well stricken in years and my wife is really old. You could infer from this that she might be older than him so we could call her Elizabeth the cougar. It's inferred. It's not there. But to me, it seems to make sense. And it makes me laugh every time I read it. I'm old, but man, she is well stricken in years. I don't know that to be true. So don't argue with me about it. I'm just making a funny point. Verse number 19 and 20, the angel said unto him, I'm Gabriel, I stand before the presence of the Lord. And this is how you're going to know because you doubted me and the word of God. This is how you're going to know you're going to have a son. You're not going to be allowed to talk until your wife has a son. You're not going to be allowed to say a word until your wife has a son. We later read that Zacharias, as we work our way to our text, that he communicated by writing things down. So he serves in the office of the priest, and he hears that his, that his uh, or, or he goes back to his house, and he talks to his wife, and he and he communicates to her in written form, and he writes to her, and he says, hey, I'm not going to be able to talk, we're going to have a son, the boy's name is going to be John, but I'm not going to be able to talk until he is born. And I'm going to tell you, there are some really bad things in this world, and some bad things that happen in this world. But one of the more difficult things in this world is to tell a preacher that he's not going to be allowed to talk for a year. Like, you don't get to talk for a year. If you told me I don't get to talk for a year, I don't know what I would do. I, I would, I, I, I really, I mean, he doesn't get to talk for, for, it wasn't a full year, but nearly a year, he's not able to talk. But then the day comes that his son is born, verse number 57 and following. That day comes and his son is born. And the people from the village, I mean, because they're excited, the whole village knows what's going on. We'd call it a village, they call it a town. The whole village knows what's going on, and they're celebrating with Elizabeth, this old lady uh, that is past her childbearing years, that is miraculously touched by the Lord, and she has a son. And and the whole town is awash with excitement, and they're walking in and out of her house, and they're celebrating, the Bible says, verse number 58, and they're they're rejoicing with them that they have a son. And and Zechariah, Christ still isn't talking. Following God's law and the custom of the people, the baby is going to be circumcised on the eighth day. It was not only the day of circumcision, it seems from the context that it's also the day that the child would be named in accordance with the custom, nothing biblical about it, but in accordance with the customs of the day. And the house is filled, if you will, with friendly people that love them, that are rejoicing with them, that are excited for them, that are thrilled for them. The house is just, just awash with excitement. And somebody walks into the house. And, and in my mind, it's a, it's an old grandfatherly type, kind of hunched over and with a cane. He had been a childhood playmate of Zacharias. Zechariah and this man have played his kids, and now they're both old grandfatherly types. And Zechariah is near seventy, having a baby. Oh boy! I don't think the miracle is in having the baby. I think the miracle is Zechariah's next birthday. But this old grandfather walks in. It's the eighth day. They're celebrating the circumcision of the child because it's a big deal in the community. And the grandfather walks in. And this is how it happens in my mind. Scripture doesn't say it happened this way. But you've got to read the Bible with imagination or you're boring. You say, how do you know if you're boring? Do you read the Bible with imagination? No. There you go. And so Zacharias walks in, or the old man walks in, he's kind of hum, you know, hunched over, and, and there's two types of old men when they walk into a room. There's kinds that sit in the corner and don't really say anything, and, and then there's those that walk in and they own the room. And they make sure that everybody knows they own the room. And they and this man he walks in, he says hi to everybody, and he greets everybody. And and he's a, he's kind of the life of the village type of a guy, uh, and and he's encouraging everybody. And and after a while, he he sits down, and they bring him some yams and some tapioca pudding and some jello, and and he sits down and he's talking. And then out of nowhere, he goes, "Hey, by the way, what are they going to call that kid?" And somebody goes, I, I haven't heard. And he goes, I bet his name's going to be Zacharias everybody goes, oh, yeah, but probably. I mean, that's his dad's name. And, I mean, at this age, I don't think Zacharias is going to have another child, so certainly it'll probably be his name, or there'll certainly be a name of a family member that's there. And, but yeah, yeah, that's going to be it. That's going to be it. But he wasn't one to just, you know, kind of assume things. Elizabeth walks by, and he says to Elizabeth right there, as she walks by, he says, hey, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. He's got cataracts, so he has to make sure it's her. Is that you? That's, uh, yeah, that's me. Uh, hey, you're going to name that boy? Zacharias, right? And people are like, shut up. You know that they're gonna name him Zacharias. And Elizabeth goes, No, no, we're not naming him Zacharias. We're gonna name him John. The old man goes, right, Say that again. What, what'd she say? You ever hear old people talk in church? <laughs> Nothing, there's no such thing as a whisper what'd they say? They said they're going to name him John. And here's the old man, John? Who's John? Uh, 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 I don't know. And then like, you're not going to name him John. You're having severe postpartum depression. You've come up with a dumb name. I'm being serious. I mean, they, they think she's losing her mind. I mean, that's the context, the way that I read it. I mean, I could teach you the Greek that would prove that, but I'd be lying. But in my mind, that's what I'm saying, like. What do you mean? You're going to name him John? You're not going to. There's no one. The Bible says this is what they say. There's no one in your family named John. And so she goes. Well, we're naming him John. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. I know, the old man says, I don't know how to settle this. Let me go talk to my boyhood friend, Zacharias. And the old man has four people help him up and he shuffles his feet over. And he, Zacharias! And Zacharias, he can't talk, yeah. But the guy can't see him because he's half blind. You're not gonna name that kid, John. You're gonna name him Zacharias, right? And he motions for a tablet to be brought to him. And they bring him the tablet, And as they bring him the tablet, he writes on the tablet, his name shall be called John. And the whole crowd's like, oh. Well, why is his name called John? Because Zacharias learned a very important lesson. And that is this, number one, we will obey the word of the Lord. We will follow God's word. I didn't believe it before. I believe it now. And then in verse number 50, in verse number 68, we see Zacharias, uh, 67, Zechariah's mouth is open and, and he prophesied or, or he spoke truth. He sings this song and he says in verse number 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, verse 70 which have seen, which I'm sorry, which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant that the oath which he saw Swear to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life and thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. This baby is born and babies change everything and they change everything, I would submit to you, for the better. If you're a young parent, you think they change everything for the busier, which is true, but they change everything for the better. And Zacharias, the first from 68 to 75, he talks about the Lord and the coming of the Messiah and 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 the fact that God keeps his word and that salvation has been brought to Israel. But in the closing verse of this song, he directs his attention and his thoughts to his son. And for our time today, I want to look briefly at verse 76 to 79, where Zacharias talks about what God is going to do with his son. We discover what's being said and and what it meant. I, I think we'll find some relevant application to our own lives this morning. Verse number 76. I want you to notice the way needed to be prepared. The way needed to be prepared. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. This baby named John would become known as John the Baptist. He's considered to be the last Old Testament prophet, the one who would go before the face of the Lord. He was what we call as as theologians or or People who study the things of the Bible, he, he was called a prophet, verse number 76, of the highest, meaning that he would foretell of things to come or to tell beforehand. He would give God's word to God's people uh, before the Lord gave it. He was a foreteller foretellers were important in their day by the way they're important in our day a foreteller is one who would go before the king and he would prepare the way for the king he would make sure that the that the roads were prepared for the king and his entourage and his security team they would make sure that that if there was a state dinner that the location had been secured that the tables were right that that all of the 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 things around the The table were, were prepared, the right tablecloth, the right flowers, the right food, the right chef preparing the right food because it was the king's time and the king's time was super important and the king didn't need to deal with mundane details. The king was about bigger business and better business and more important business. And John the Baptist was one who was going to go before the king to make sure that things were in order and things were prepared. He was, verse number 76, he was a prophet of the highest. God had given John the Baptist a word to preach, a message to declare, a way to declare the message. And John the Baptist, the Bible says, in verse number eight, he went out into the desert and and he prepared himself for the ministry and he ate locusts and wild honey. And John the Baptist was a man, I mean, listen to me, he would preach, he would sleep, he would eat locusts, wild honey, and get up and do it all over again for the entirety of his life. He preached the truth, he preached it over, and over and over and over and over again why because he's preparing the way for the messiah the way needed to be prepared we can't have that same privilege we can't have that same joy Though we don't foretell, we don't tell in the future, we don't tell what what's go, what, what is going to happen, we foretell or we publish or we declare or make known things that have already been done. I don't need to foretell anything. There's no prophets in our day. There's nobody who's giving a new word from the Lord. All the words of the Lord have been given in the Bible. There's no new revelation that's going to happen. It's all been given in God word every word of God is settled it is sure it is pure we don't foretell we don't tell tell things that that maybe we think God has told us in our no no no, we don't do that but we do tell what God has already done through the person of Jesus Christ on the sacrifice when he sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary do you know that John the Baptist like John the Baptist we can prepare the way for people to be saved We can prepare the way for the message to be heard. Listen to how Isaiah in the Old Testament spoke of the work of John the Baptist and what he would do. Isaiah 40, verses three through five, talking about John the Baptist, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In the final book of the Old Testament, written by the last prophet chronologically and in date uh, before John the Baptist was a man named Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. John the Baptist had a unique role of setting the stage for Christ for this Christmas season. His role was to prepare the way. He made the preparation necessary for the people to meet Jesus. That was his role. That was his God-given responsibility. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, we read this in John one twenty three, where he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Make make straight, make it ready. Receive the Lord easily, receive the Lord with clarity. Understand who Jesus is, understand what he's done. As we sang earlier, receive him and receive him with joy. Like John, we prepare the way for others around us to meet Christ. Oh, we don't foretell, but we foretell. Well, how do I do that? You can be kind and gracious to your neighbors in the love of Christ. You can invite people to come to church next Sunday, Wednesday night to community Bible study. You can invite people over to your house to have a Bible study and talk about the things of God. You say, well, I've invited him before. Well, invite him again. John the Baptist didn't just preach to one person one time. He preached as often as he could to as many people as he could because he had the most important message that has ever been preached. preached. John the Baptist over and over and over again is declaring the truth of the gospel because the way needed to be prepared. We can do that. We can prepare the way. We can't, we can't force the heart. We would never try, but we can prepare the way. If you have a ministry here at Canyon Ridge, you can be an encouragement in your ministry. You prepare the way when guests come in by greeting folks and saying hi and being a friendly church and encouraging people that way by doing things orderly and and even decently. Be kind as a Christian in your neighborhood by helping people, encouraging people. And when they ask, why are you different? Make no mistake, it's not because you have anything to offer. It's because Jesus has everything to offer. You can prepare the way. Well, he needed to prepare the way. Why? Well, in verse 77 and 78, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God. He prepared the way because the message needed to be preached. The way needed to be prepared. But the message has to be preached. A prepared way without a message is just a well-worn path to nowhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. The message wasn't up to John and the message isn't up to us to give knowledge of salvation unto his people the word knowledge here means clear understanding it's it's intuitive knowledge it's present knowledge we understand the knowledge of what verse 77 the knowledge of salvation to his people for the remission of their sin we have knowledge of our uh, of salvation because our sins need to be remitted Remission means to, to cause to stand into, uh, to stand away or to remove from, to release one person's sin from the sinner. It means forgiveness. Remission means to have your sin and that sin be removed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, John, you're preparing the way. is talking about his son. My son is gonna prepare the way and we're to prepare the way so that people can understand that they can be saved and their sins be put away from them. Amen. You hold a sin burden in your life. And the only way that that sin burden in your life can ever be removed, the only way that sin burden can ever be taken away, is not through your efforts, it's not through your goodness, it's not through your giving, it's not through being a good parent, it's not through any of that. It's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. And John was to prepare the way for that. And the Bible uses a really important word here. We don't have wind like that normally in San Diego, do we? Kind of cool. The Bible has a really important word here. It's the word knowledge. Knowledge. Gnosis. Understanding. Understanding of what the truth is. Here's what some people do. Well, well, I, I, I just, I hope that person's saved. So we talk to them and we piece together their convoluted ideas. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're very confused ideas. And we're like, oh, they have to know Jesus because they've used enough Christian terms. Folks, let me be super candid with you. When you stand before Jesus, you don't have a terminology test. It's not a vocabulary test. It's have you accepted me alone as your savior? He all already knows if their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I want to stop and I want to say this. There's probably some Christians in this room this morning that have given false assurance to people who don't know Jesus because you really don't want to feel awkward by telling them that they don't know Jesus. Oh, oh yeah, I believe that. I, I go to church. Oh, I've prayed a prayer. Friends, I love that you go to church and I love that people pray prayers, but going to church won't save you and praying a prayer won't save you. You can't get saved without praying a prayer, but praying a prayer doesn't save you next year in March, Debbie and I will be in Cambodia we'll be with our missionary Dave Board and Sarah Vong and several others that will be there and, and I'm looking forward to being there and I'll drive by many Buddhist villages I, I know right, I mean I, I, I can tell you right now some places that make idols that I'll be going by that we'll probably stop and witness to because we stop and witness to them every single time that we go and those people pray and they pray with emphasis and they pray emphatically and they pray sacrificially, prayer does not save, just because they pray doesn't mean that they're saved and i want you to be very very honest with yourself and answer this question have i given false assurance to somebody because i want them to be saved john the baptist didn't give assurance he gave the cl- a clear message of the gospel My job is not to affirm people's salvation. That's not my calling. That's not your calling. That's not how we prepare the way, and that's not the message that's supposed to be preached. My job is not to affirm anyone's salvation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God alone. My job is to declare and prepare the message that has to be preached. Knowledge of sin. Look at verse number 78 to give, or I'm sorry, through the tender mercies of our God. The word tender refers to the inner parts of the body, such as the intestines, the heart, the liver. It's talking about the, the, uh, um, just those those things that are on the inside. And the word mercy is the word compassion for sinners. And when combined, this phrase tender mercy vividly depicts the intensity of God's compassionate concern for sinners. If you're here today and you don't understand, you don't know Christ as your savior, you've never truly repented of your sin, changed teams and went from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that God has a compassionate, intense concern for your soul? We don't get to ignore that we're sinners. We don't have authority to rework the definition God has a compassionate concern for your soul. I talk to people all the time and about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, and we had a person get saved recently, and they said to one of our pastors, they said, I'm about 90% of the way there, so I think I'm good. And I love what our assistant pastor said. He said, no, no, uh, 90% isn't good enough. You've got to be all the way there, and you need to trust in Jesus 100% of the time. All the way. That's the message that needs to be preached. That's the message that has to be declared. And John and each of us on the opposite side of Jesus, John being on the other side, we on this side have the same job to point people straight to Jesus. John said in John 1, verse number 29, when he's in the desert baptizing people and Jesus is coming to him. John says, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That word, behold me, is, is, is implying not the mere act of seeing, but actual perception, understanding, perceiving this. John, John sees it. John, John says, behold, John understands who Jesus is. John understands what Jesus is all about. He sees him and he understands him. When I was a child, I I grew up in western Washington, a little town called Spanaway. My dad was a pastor from the time I was 3 to 13, so 10 years of my life. My family would often go to the other side of the state. And if you're from western Washington, you know that the other side of the state is over the mountain. Mount Rainier, uh, the, the, the Cascade Mountain Range that's there. And we'd go over Snoqualmie Pass or whatever pass we would go over. And as we'd go over the pass, I'd sit in the back of that brown 72 Ford Pinto. It was a fire trap, thank the Lord, everything was good in my family. And I'd sit in the back of that Ford Binto, and as we drive over the, the mountain range at a uh, at a ripe old speed of 50 miles an hour, I had plenty of time to look. And I'd go over that mountain range, and And I'd see the trees and think, oh, that's really beautiful. And I'd see the lakes that were there and go, oh, I'd like to go fishing in that lake. And I'd see the big lakes that are there and like, oh, that'd be fun to take a boat out on. And then I'd go back to thinking or doing or planning or whatever I was going on in the backseat of the car that a a six or seven or eight-year-old kid does. I saw it, but I wasn't really preoccupied with it. I wasn't really beholding it. I wasn't really perceptive of it. Now, as I've had opportunity to drive back over that mountain range, I almost want to stop about every mile to mile and a half and just stop and take in the beauty and the smell and the wonder of the Cascade mountain range. And I really want to perceive it, and I want to take it in. I can smell it. Even now, I can, I can feel the humidity. I can smell the moldiness of the, of the rain-soaked rainfall forests that are there I mean I've had opportunity to perceive I behold it now I saw it then and here's what a lot of people do they see Jesus but they don't perceive Jesus we have a knowledge about him but we've never accepted him and John is preaching a message and his message is turned to Jesus well why does a, a way need to be prepared and why does a message need to be preached Verse 78, the second part, the Bible says in verse 78, through the tender mercies of our God, the second part, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Why does the message need to be preached? Because the people needed peace. Because the people needed peace. Peace. God doesn't do anything by chance. And the timing of John the Baptist's ministry and the birth of Christ were choreographed perfectly. The world at that time was in a very, we might say it this way, dark place, especially for the Jews. They were under Roman occupation. They had a despot that was the Roman-approved ruler of their region of Palestine, a guy named Herod. He was ruthless. Kill anyone that he didn't like. Taxes were through the roof. They hadn't heard from God in 420 years. It was a dark time. You, you ever hear that phrase? A dark place. I hear people tell me on a regular basis, oh, they're, they're in a dark place. They're, they're, they're really facing difficulty. Pastor, maybe you can talk to them there. They're in a dark place, and I love to do that. I love to try to help people. I love it. If you're in a dark place, please come see me after the service. I'd like to give you a flashlight to help you find your way out. No, I'm not kidding. I really would. I would love it. My wife would love it. Our staff would love to do that and help you. You might come to church all the time. This might be your first time here. We don't care. If you're having difficulties, we want to help you and pray you through that. They were in a dark place. Not dissembling from our world. our world is dark i'm talking big time dark all you have to do is is turn on the news read a headline talk to somebody violence is everywhere i mean violence is everywhere People hate one another. People just steal stuff in stores. Old people are getting beat for no reason. It's just a dark place. Some of our major cities of the United States where they have rail service, kind of like the metro here. People be standing on the station waiting for the train to come and they just get pushed by somebody behind them in front of the train. I mean, it's a dark world. I'm not trying to make more of it than it is. But we need to understand that we don't live in heaven. We live in San Diego. And it's great, but it's dark. You drive down the street and you're like, oh, I'm so sick of homelessness. As We all are frustrated by that. But they're not homeless because they're just like, hey, I hope one day to be a homeless addict. they're homeless because they're in a dark place, in a difficult world, facing grave challenges. You say, well, if I was in their condition, I'd never be like that. You don't know that. You don't know that. I've got to hurry, but let me just give you this Uh, quickly if I can, if you'll give me the, the grace to do it. A kid that grows up in the foster system in California has an 82% likelihood of being homeless. Sin has consequences. And it's darkness. They were facing darkness. And John the Baptist is preparing the way. And John the Baptist is preparing and preaching a message. Why? Because the people need peace. The Bible uses this word in verse number 78. Through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the dayspring of on high hath visited us. The dayspring is like the sunrise to those in darkness spiritually or any other way. It's it's when the day buds forth. It's when the day comes to life. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark place in your life where it's been so dark and you're, you're stuck awake in the middle of the night and you can't sleep your way through it. I've been to this spot in my life and you can't sleep your way through it and you're sitting in a chair or you're on your knees in prayer and your prayer is nothing more than this, God, let the sun come up. Why? Because with the sun, there's hope. With the sun, there's light. With the sun, there's Opportunity. Where that grief is so deep and that pain is so all-encompassing that all you can pray for is God bring the day. Would you listen to me? That's who Jesus is. He's the day spring. Pastor, I'm so hurt, it's so deep, it's so dark, it's so difficult. What can you tell me? I can tell you that Jesus is a light to the soul of every man. I can tell you that the goodness of Jesus Christ wants to be spread abroad in your heart. Does every pain leave because of Jesus? No, but he's a light in a dark world. I don't have to run to some drug. I don't have to run to some addiction. I don't have to run to overworking. I don't have to run to... to to uh, cynicism and 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 social media addiction no i've got jesus christ and yes the time is dark but he is the light of my soul and that's the message that has to be preached why well verse 79 to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Oh, he's the day spring and the message is that he would guide our feet into the way of peace. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he left heaven and came to earth so that you might never live in darkness and to guide your feet into the way of peace. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, not did you pray a prayer, not do you go to church, not have you given a lot of money to a church, but do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you don't, he came to guide your feet into the way of peace. Peace. He came that you might have life, the Bible says, and life more abundantly. If you will acknowledge that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, that means to agree with God you've sinned against him, and trust only Jesus Christ, 100% of the way, trust only Jesus Christ to save you. He promises to save you. And you can pray a prayer similar to this, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. The best I know how I confess that I have sinned and violated your word. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart, and I ask you to save my soul. I'm trusting only you and always you. You pray a prayer similar to that. No magic words. I say it different every week on purpose. There's no magic words. If you'll pray a prayer like that, God promises to save your soul. It's a guarantee. And for the believer here this morning, I want you to understand that This is the message that we preach. In 1907, John Wesley Work Jr. did not write the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. It wasn't his song. But we can take credit with the fact that we still sing it today. John Wesley Work Jr. was the son of a choir director in Nashville and he earned a degree, he loved music and he loved spirituals, and he earned a degree in Latin, but he understood something, he understood that spirituals needed to be carried on from generation to generation, and God burdened his heart for it, it was in the direction of the Lord. You see, most spirituals weren't written down. They were passed from person to person and plantation to plantation. And they're deep and rich in their theology. And they help us to understand an oppressed people and the grace and the hope that they found in the person of Jesus Christ, just like I do. And John Wesley Work Jr. published a couple of spiritual, if you will, songbooks And go tell it on the mountain appeared in the second collection of his work. This wonderful song reminds us of our mission to let the world know that Christ was born. And it's similar to the mission of John the Baptist who was called to prepare the way for the Messiah. Similar to the song of Zacharias who couldn't help but let the whole world know that we are called to tell it from the mountaintops of our heart and in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in our churches that the Messiah has come.
1: Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere Jesus Christ is born When I was a seeker I sought both night and day I asked the Lord to help me And he showed me the way Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone. The mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Twas in a humble manger that Jesus Christ was born, the God of all creation. Became a child that morn. so go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born.
0: Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. You and I have a responsibility to tell it on the mountain. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have a responsibility. You can't change the message. You can't even change the method. You have to tell people that Jesus Christ was born. It's not a message that's up for debate. It's been given by the Creator. It's not a message that can be denied. He saved the souls of millions. Go tell it on the mountain. Well, pastor, I'm scared. Go tell it on the mountain through the power of the Spirit of God. Pastor, I don't know exactly what to say. Go tell it on the mountain through the wisdom of the Spirit of God. Pastor, I might be rejected. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Pastor, I don't know what to do. Then just invite somebody to church. well I'm not good at that then bake some cookies and if you're bad at that buy them at Costco put them on a nice platter and put a note with it and put an invitation to church on Sunday just do something so that people can hear the message prepare the way because the world is lost and on its way to hell and it needs Jesus Christ and they're not going to hear it if we don't share it and they're not going to share it if we don't go up to the mountain and declare that Jesus Christ was born you're here today and you don't know jesus christ as your savior if you're not sure that if you died heaven would be your home can i tell you right now he loves you he died for you and if you'll put your faith and trust in him he promises that he will accept you regardless of where you've been regardless of what you've done jesus christ will save your soul from an eternity in hell that's why he came so that you could have life and i could have life and we could have it Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a
1: service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.